live from our WSBT radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike it's the national championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game! The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Good afternoon, everyone. Eight minutes after five o'clock. And you have tuned in to Budweiser's weekday sports speed on your home of the Fighting Irish, including that opening game in Dublin, August the 26th against Navy, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Hello to everyone that is streaming the program right now at WSBTradio.com, our free WSBT radio app, or on the Twitch app, where we have a video feed of the studio taking place. Hope you're having a terrific Friday, June the 2nd of 2023. It is a warm one today here in South Bend. Coming up on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed, our hat trick of opening topics, a Notre Dame football commitment, the SEC makes a decision, and a look at the National League. On June the 2nd, we have at 5.30 the results of the question we posted on my Twitter feed at sports at 960 Sportsbeat, I should say. What is your favorite or most interesting piece of sports memorabilia? This question brought to you by our friends at Wings, etc. We're going to read the responses from my Twitter post. And at the conclusion of the segment, we'll give out a $50 gift card to wings, etc. Love hot wings and cold beer. Good food and great times. We're always on tap at wings, etc. Grill and pub with a great selection of ice cold beer, award-winning jumbo wings, and more. Stop by a location near you. Speaking of ice cold beer, I didn't know this until I saw it on Twitter. There's a video to prove it. Not that this is anything important, but how many Cans of beer does it take to fill up the Stanley Cup? You got that cup on top, and after you win the Stanley Cup, you see in the locker room the guys drinking out of Lord Stanley. How many cans of beer does it take to fill the Stanley Cup? The correct answer is 17. That'll take care of a lot of people. 
All right, also coming up on the program, we've got our Twitter question of the day. Six o'clock hour is going to be busy. We're going to be joined by Paul Zram, the Director of Development at the Salvation Army Croc Center in South Bend. They have their annual hole-in-one contest that is getting underway. All the details coming up right around 6.05. We have our Notre Dame Football Week in Review featuring conversations with Blue and Gold's Tyler Horka, singer, and we've got some Sizzler to wrap up the program. Went 3-1 and one last night on our picks, so we are 7-5 and five for this week. And we've got four more suggestions ready to go tonight. A little Notre Dame basketball information. John Rothstein, college basketball insider for CBS Sports, he reported today that the Micah Shrewsbury era at the University of Notre Dame will get underway on November the 6th at Purcell Pavilion as Coach Shrewsbury's Fighting Irish will take on the Purple Eagles of Niagara out of the MAAC conference. So that'll be the opening game for Notre Dame, a game that you can hear on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The head coach of Niagara is a familiar name for college basketball fans. Greg Paulus in his fourth year with that Niagara program. He is most well known for being one heck of a football and basketball player coming out of high school, could have been a quarterback but elected to play college basketball at Duke, final year at Syracuse. So Greg Paulus has those ACC ties. He is running that Niagara program that went 16-15 and 15 last year, but it's going to be a totally different team when they come to South Bend. Coach Paulus has brought in seven transfers to reshape the roster, including one kid from Newcastle, Indiana. Everybody from Newcastle shoots it well. And Luke Bum. Bumblo, excuse me, from Newcastle, who played at Ball State. He's joined Niagara. And Luke, two years ago, started all 31 games for Ball State, averaged 10 points per game, and hit 78 threes last year, a diminished role, only six starts, and knocked down 18 threes, averaging 2.8 points per ball game. So, according to John Rostein of CBS Sports, our first Notre Dame basketball game here on WSBT Radio, the debut of Micah Shrewsbury. It is Notre Dame and Niagara, November the 6th at Purcell Pavilion. All right, away we go with our hat trick of opening topics, three topics to start tonight's program. We start with Notre Dame football news. And the Fighting Irish now have 17 commitments in the class of 2024 that is shaping up to be a dandy class. Today, they added a Canadian native who is now in Clearwater, Florida. He is defensive lineman Sean Sevillano, S-E-V-I-L-L-A-N-O. Goes to an academy in Clearwater, Florida. There have been several Canadians make the trip to this academy, and Sevillano is another. So, Sevillano picked Notre Dame today over schools like Auburn, Miami, and Ohio State. Those were the three other finalists beside Notre Dame. There were many more that offered, but the Irish got him. According to Mike Singer of Blue and Gold Illustrated, who was on the program yesterday, this kid might be a tad bit underrated right now in the rankings. The nation's 
883rd overall prospect and number 82 defensive lineman in the 2024 on-3 industry ranking, which brings together the four major services for an average ranking. Now, on-3 ranks this guy a little bit higher. He is the number 66 defensive lineman in the class of 2024. During his junior campaign down in Florida, 75 tackles, 21 tackles for loss, 19 sacks, and three forced fumbles in 11 games. So Notre Dame adding an interior defensive lineman that has shown the ability to get to the quarterback, which, boy, oh, boy, you get pressure up the middle. It's going to be a really good day for your defense. So this guy has really come on strong in the eyes of coaches across the country, but Notre Dame had the advantage, and they cash in. Sean Sevellano has committed to Notre Dame today. And by the way, he's 6'2", 305, going into his senior year of high school. So Notre Dame recently got Logan Thomas, the outstanding edge rusher from Katy, Texas in this 24 class. And now we move inside for the next guy, Sean Sevellano, interior defensive lineman, the 17th commitment in the class of 2024. Next up in our hat trick opening segment, topic number two, the SEC is going to go with eight conference games in 2024. That's the year that the SEC will add two more members to bring their total to 16. And those two teams, the Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners. If you go by geography, adding Texas and Oklahoma would have made the SEC's Western Division ridiculous. When you've got Alabama and LSU to start things off, that's cream of the crop. Then you've got Auburn and Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Texas A&M. There aren't many breathers on that side of the SEC. And if you add Texas and Oklahoma, good luck. Good luck. But we don't have to worry about that. Because just like what the ACC has done, the SEC is getting rid of their two divisions. They split into divisions back in 1992. But in 2024, they're just one big conference. As I mentioned, the SEC has chosen to only play eight conference games. That makes them the only Power Five conference not to require at least nine conference games. If you take a look at some of the numbers, the SEC, only two of their 14 teams will play at least 10 games against Power Five schools. Only two of the 14 will. Of course, you always see some of those FCS cupcakes right before or after a big game. Now, to be fair, Notre Dame only has nine Power Five conference games in 2023. Of course, you got Navy, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan, the three non-Power Five conference teams on the Irish schedule. So why is the SEC only going with eight games? Doing a little research, 
it appears this has a lot to do, and you're not going to be shocked by this, money. Now, according to sources, there were too many obstacles to overcome to go to the nine-game conference schedule in 2024. And one of the big issues is one of SEC's newest media partners didn't want to cough up more money for a ninth game. And that company is ESPN. Reportedly, they would not pay for that ninth game. There's also some concerns that adding another conference game is going to impact the SEC's ability to get a handful of teams into the college football playoff, and they worry about bowl eligibility, the conference beating up on each other, and not as many teams becoming bowl eligible. I mean, the conference has a lot of elite teams, And really, really good teams. You have Missouri and Vanderbilt. Kentucky's been up the last few years, so they're not necessarily on that list right now. But there aren't many games where you say, well, this is going to be easy. Unless you're Georgie, just blow out everybody. So the ninth game, ESPN wouldn't pay for it reportedly. And they worry about teams getting into the playoff and bowl eligibility. And you know what? If you're the SEC, you have to take care of your own. Even though you're going to be the ugly duckling of the group, you're going to look a little different than everybody else since all the other conferences are going to play at least nine conference games. The SEC is going to go with eight to protect themselves. And if Notre Dame was in the SEC, we'd all be saying, hey, do whatever it takes to protect your teams that have a chance to get to the college football playoff. As we talked about yesterday for a moment, Georgia and Alabama never seem to play in the regular season, and for good reason. I've said this many times, but no conference takes care of their best teams like the SEC. We may not like it, but it's pretty doggone smart. Now, the non-traditional football powers in the SEC, they felt like playing an extra conference game would make it more challenging for those schools to just even qualify for a bowl game. And if you think about it, the SEC has claimed four of the last six college football national championships. Georgia has gone back-to-back. Now, you got schools like Georgia who have a number of traditional conference rivals, they were wary of an eight-game schedule that would require them to throw aside a secondary rivalry. I think Georgia and Florida will remain no matter what. That's going to be considered a traditional rivalry, the old cocktail party down in Jacksonville. Some schools, they could make eight figures in additional ticket revenue by playing an extra home game every year in a nine-game schedule. Even though a lot of cash was at stake, there was a lot of question marks about that ninth game, and so the SEC will have just eight games, at least for now. Now, if somebody says, hey, we'll pay for that ninth game, they're going to go ahead and make the SEC conference a non 
a nine-conference, excuse me, league. No question. Money will change that. So, according to the SEC, the schedule is going to be based on fairness and balance. That's according to Commissioner Greg Sankey. And he mentioned there will be consideration given to the traditional rivalries such as Alabama and Auburn, Florida versus Georgia, Texas and Oklahoma, probably Texas and Texas A&M as well. So big decision. The SEC will go with the eight conference games. There is one other thing. The SEC teams will be forced to play at least one non-conference game against a Power 5 opponent from the ACC, the Big 10, the Big 12, the Pac-12, or a major independent like this team we have in South Bend. 15 of the 16 programs already have such a game scheduled for 2024. Oklahoma previously agreed to a series with Georgia that was canceled once the Sooners joined the conference. So Oklahoma will add a Power 5 game, and then all of those SEC teams will be lined up and ready to go as they have agreed and taken care of business with that mandate from the SEC. Let's see how it plays out this year. If the eight games hurts the SEC or they get a money offer for that ninth game, it'll change. But if they have success getting three or four teams into the college football playoff in 2024 using an eight-game conference schedule, it is not going to go anywhere unless the money is so good they have to take it. But, of course, it just means more down (laughs) in the SEC, right? Something like that, anyway. Hat trick, opening topic number three for tonight. I've talked about for years, June 1st is the day I take the baseball standing serious. So let's see where we are right now. The America League, we talked about it last night. So now let's turn our attention to the old National League. Where right now, you might be a little surprised what's happening atop the National League. There are two teams tied for the best record in the National League. One you could guess, the L.A. Dodgers. But can you guess the second team? How about the Arizona Diamondbacks? Just finished off a four-game home sweep of the Colorado Rockies. They've won five in a row. And the Diamondbacks are 34-23, and 23, a 596 winning percentage, and tied with the Dodgers for first place in the NL West and first place overall in the National League. Did you see that coming? That is a bit of a surprise, to say the least. The Giants are five and a half back in the West. The Padres are a huge disappointment. They are 26 and 30 with all that money they've spent. And they're right now seven and a half games out of first place and only three games ahead of last place, Colorado. So a lot of work to be done right now for San Diego. 
The National League East, like the National League West, is a highly competitive and a good division. The Atlanta Braves, who might be the favorite in the National League at the end of the day, right now the third best record in the National League. They lead the East at 33-23. and 23. Their offense has just so much efficiency to it. Ronald Acuna. You got Matt Olson at first hitting tanks. Austin Riley over at third. Ozzie Albies, Michael Harris, and Sean Murphy picked up off the scrap heap from that Oakland A's team. Murphy's a really good player and has added another bad and really outstanding defense to that Atlanta team that might add a big pitcher at the deadline to really make themselves a favorite in the National League. The Mets, who have $40-plus million invested in two starting pitchers, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, they've come alive lately. They took three straight from the Phillies at City Field, and the Mets are now 30-27, and 27, three and a half behind Atlanta in the East. And how about the job Skip Schumacher is doing with the old Miami Marlins? They are four and a half back at 29 and 28. If the Padres are not the biggest disappointment in the National League, the other candidate is the Philadelphia Phillies. Coming off that great run in the postseason last year, riding the arms of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler to the World Series where they lost to the Astros, the Phillies go out and add one of the premier shortstops on the market, Trey Turner, but he has not hit like Trey Turner so far. And the Phillies are 25 and 31, fourth place in the National League East, and eight games out of first. That we did not see coming. I've always enjoyed watching Kyle Schwarber hit the baseball from his days in Chicago, now in Philadelphia. He's hitting 160. Now I know average, throw it away nowadays, it's about on base percentage. He does walk his fair share. He's just too good to be that poor of a hitter. I know he's all or nothing, but I just feel like with that swing, he's the guy that should be able to hit 250 at the worst, but definitely not the case for the old cubby. And you know what? The Nationals in a rebuild, 24 and 32, that's not too bad. And we saved the worst for last. There is nothing pretty about the National League Central. If any of these teams are in the East or the West, they're probably not thinking about division title at this time. But the old NL Central is all about mediocrity, and everybody is alive. First place and last place is separated by only four and a half games. The first place team is only two games over 500, for crying out loud. The Brewers lead the way. They stink a little less than everybody else. They're 29 and 27 and lead the old Pittsburgh Pirates by just a half a game. The Buccos are 28 and 27. The Cincinnati Reds have something cooking with their young talent. They're starting to arrive in Cincinnati and they're starting to play good ball. They swept the Cubbies at Wrigley. Did a good job in Boston. And they're 26-30, and 30, only three games out of first place. And I just read they're sold out tonight at Great American Ballpark. I have to imagine it's been a while since that's been the case. 
And then you've got the I-55 rivals bringing up the rear right now of this out-of-control train. The St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs. The Cardinals, the defending Central Division champions. The front office did not fix their pitching woes, although they told us we have six starting pitchers. No, you have probably two, and the rest aren't very good. Well, the Cardinals are just 25-32, and 32, but they were 10-24. and 24. So they've won 15 of 23 to get back into the race, only four and a half behind Milwaukee. Meanwhile, the opposite for the Cubs. The Cubs started off great and now not so great at 24 and 31. In fact, the Cardinals got going when they took two out of three from the Cubs at Wrigley Field. So who's going to win this division? The most talented team is St. Louis, but can they acquire enough pitching to pull it off? The wild card is the Reds. Hunter Green, their hard-throwing right-hander, starting to figure it out. That lineup is putting up some good, good offensive numbers. They have a young stud outfielder that's ready to come up that could make a major impact. The Reds could be the wild card. And the Brewers, they're the leaders right now. They have trouble scoring. So all five of these teams have major flaws. I think the Pirates fade away. The Cubs aren't going to be there. I think it's Brewers, Reds, and Cardinals at this time to see who wins the division, goes to the first round, and gets swept in the best-of-three first-round series. Hard to imagine anybody in this division, whoever wins it, picking up a playoff win, let alone a series victory. So right now, Diamondbacks and Dodgers are tied for first. We'll give Arizona the advantage. What the heck? So Arizona and Atlanta would be your two teams that get the bye at the current time. And then you've got Pittsburgh and Miami that would be in the postseason right now. Miami at the Dodgers, Pittsburgh at Milwaukee. That would be some story. Arizona, Miami, and Pittsburgh in the postseason if it started today. Pretty incredible. Odds would have been out of this world in Las Vegas for that fact at the start of the year. But it is only June 2nd, but we have a good feel for these teams at this point. And let the pennant race begin in Major League Baseball. It is 27 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. That wraps up our hat trick of opening topics. Notre Dame football gets a 2024 defensive tackle commitment from Sean Sevillano. The SEC will go with eight conference games in 2024, and they will get rid of divisions. And finally, our look at the National League. 5.33 is our time. Sportsbeat continues next on WSBT. Just noticing something on Twitter coming out of break here. Darren Pritchett with you. Sportsbeat on WSBT Radio. Daniel Greenberg from Chicago Sports Update via the Daily Herald. The Chicago Bears are now looking at stadium opportunities other than the Arlington Park location. New team president, CEO Kevin Warren, met today with Naperville Mayor Scott Worley about the possibility of building a new stadium In Naperville, it sure seemed like we were headed down the road that the Bears were making that purchase of land and Arlington Park was going to be the place 
Well, something has obviously changed. So the search for the Bears continues as they try to find a place for their new stadium. Well, Soldier Field will be rocking tonight. The Eras Tour, the Taylor Swift Tour goes through the Windy City. So hopefully Bears football, the fans will be as loud and crazy and excited as all the people going to see Taylor Swift at Soldier Field tonight. All right, Sportsbeat continues 539 at WSBT. And now let's turn our attention to our Sportsbeat Wings Etc. question that I posted earlier earlier this week on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Each week we come up with a question. We ask you to reply to my post and answer to the question. We read the answers on the air on Friday, and at the conclusion of the segment, we give away a $50 gift card to Wings, etc. Hungry? Enjoy award-winning jumbo wings, awesome appetizers, delicious burgers, and a great selection of ice-cold beer at a Wings, etc. Grill and Pub location near you. This week's question, what is your favorite or most interesting piece of of sports memorabilia. Let's get to some of the responses on my Twitter account at 960 Sportspeed. Some people supplied a picture of the item, which we appreciate. We start with Kelly. He writes, a college football Hall of Fame pennant signed by Eddie Robinson, the Hall of Fame coach from Grambling, and also one of his quarterbacks, Doug Williams. And he also mentions, I wish the Hall of Fame was still in South Bend and Eddie Robinson was just the nicest person. We had Eddie on the program many, many years ago. It was probably the weekend that he got enshrined into the College Football Hall of Fame in South Bend. And I concur, he was a wonderful gentleman. Next up, Kevin says, a Diet Coke can that I snagged off the stage during Terry Bradshaw's College Football Hall of Fame induction. My only question is, knowing Terry's now in the, what, whiskey business, I wonder if there was anything else other than Diet Coke in that particular can. Well, that's an interesting piece of memorabilia, to say the least. We've got John. He has an opening night hat from the first Chicago Cubs night game rained out before it was official. That's a good piece of memorabilia, and probably you could get some decent money if you wanted to auction off that particular hat, knowing how memorabilia, some items are worth a lot. We've got Tim. He says he has a hat that says Notre Dame on it from high school, from the high school All-American game that was here at Notre Dame, and it's signed by John Wooden, the great late John Wooden. Yeah, that would be an extremely valuable and precious piece of memorabilia. The McDonald's All-American game was here many moons ago. That was a lot of fun to have the great players here. We broadcasted the girls and the boys game here on WSBT radios. I still have my note cards or these big kind of construction paper cards I put together with all the information of the players on it. And there were some great players here for that particular game. We're going through our wings, etc. Sports beat Twitter question: What is your favorite or most interesting piece of memorabilia? We go to Michael now, and how about this: a signed football from the entire 1973 Notre Dame football championship team. 
My uncle went to school and got it done. That's pretty impressive, getting every signature. How about Dor Rogue? He says, I own a piece of sheet metal from a race car of Everett Lintz. Boy, I wished I knew who Everett Lintz was. I apologize, Dor, but he says it's pretty neat, and I'll believe you. Also, we have Racer chiming in on our Sports Beat Wings, etc. Question of the day. This is a pretty good one. I really like this. On the day they started to demo Old Comiskey, I crawled under the construction fence, snuck into the outfield, and chiseled a brick from inside the outfield wall. How in the world did you not get caught? I'd like to know how the rest of the story to this. Let's go Paul Harvey. I'd really like to know how you pull that up because I would have to imagine that was well guarded at the time. Maybe not guarded, but there's people around. Pretty cool, though. That's a really nice piece of memorabilia. Bobby says, I have a Notre Dame pennant from the first game my dad took me to, Notre Dame over Navy. It was a magical day experience. My dad got me the pennant, which I think cost a buck, but it was worth way more for me. Eric Pennock ran for a touchdown right towards us. I went crazy. One of those classic old felt pennants with kind of the cartoon Football player carrying the football in the gothic lettering of Notre Dame. That's pretty sharp. Mason says, in terms of favorite or most interesting piece of sports memorabilia, Mason has a baseball signed by Michael Jordan from his South Bend White Sox days. I don't believe Michael played for South Bend. He was elsewhere in the White Sox system, so... He could have that signed baseball by MJ, but MJ did not play in South Bend. If he did, I missed the boat on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. He was down in Birmingham because Mark Haley, Mr. South Bend Baseball, he was his hitting coach along the way in the minors in the White Sox organization. But still, a signed baseball by MJ, that is really cool. Let's see, Fat Irishman says, I'm tied with Jerry Tillery for the largest head helmet in Notre Dame history. <laughs> oh, man. Robert says a Carlos Marmol signed baseball, the old Chicago Cubs hard-throwing right-handed reliever. Okay? We've got Kevin who says, I have a signed football buy. Now, listen to this. Era, Holtz, Schembechler, Osborne, Eddie Robinson amongst others that is the who's who of college football a decade or so oh heck it's been a couple more decades than that now time is flying isn't it and also we have ambrose saying a kevin harvick signed one by 24 diecast the old 29 goodrun chevy shirt and hat this was right after he beat jeremy mayfield to the line in a bush series race i'm protecting all three of those items with my life. Hey, those NASCAR guys are really good about signing memorabilia. So that is an awesome memory. So those are some of the responses to our sports beat, wings, etc. question of the day. For me, you know, spending the day in a TV shoot with Stan Musial and getting an autographed baseball from him probably is the top of my list. Also, I have two seats from Bush Stadium, too, and it was demolished, so I've got those down in the man cave. But 
also since my favorite athlete of all time was John Elway, and I was fortunate enough when he went into the Hall of Fame here in South Bend to get two of my items signed. That probably is at the top of the list. And I'm really proud of the rings I have just being a broadcaster, the South Bend Cubs, and I have, let's see, three Notre Dame hockey rings for various things. So those are very, very special, although I don't feel like I earned those. I'm just kind of along for the ride. We appreciate all your responses for our Wings Etc. Twitter question. And the name that we drew today for the $50 gift card to Wings Etc. is Racer05X. So, Racer, I'll be in touch with you, and I'll get your address, and we are going to send you a $50 gift card to Wings Etc., Love hot wings and cold beer. Good food and great times. We're always on tap at Wings Etc. Grill and Pub with a great selection of ice-cold beer. Award-winning jumbo wings and more. Stop by a location near you. 548 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's the family inn. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University, adult and graduate studies. Visit betheluniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. I'm Darren Pritchett. 552 is our time. Sportspeak continues with our regular Twitter question of the day. Yesterday, we asked you at 960 Sportspeak, Notre Dame has added an elite quarterback, lost a star running back to the portal, and have to replace two starting guards. And, oh, yeah, they also have a new play caller. So will the Fighting Irish average more or less than last year's rushing total of 189.1 yards per game? The vote was very, very close. You're split right now on if the Irish are going to be a better rushing team this year. 50.7% said no. The Irish will rush less than 189.1 per game. 49.3% said yes. As I mentioned in the question, there could be a lot of factors that go into how well this team rushes the football. If they're more of a passing team, the numbers could go down because of that. So because of the closeness of the vote, here is today's question that you can vote on right now at 960 Sportspeed. So the question is this. Yesterday, 50.7% voted that Notre Dame would not average more than their 189.1 yard rushing total from 2022. What is the number one reason why the Irish will not rush for that many yards this year? So let's find out what you're thinking. I'm giving you four choices and hopefully one of these four is the reason why you voted the way you did or maybe think that the Irish may not have as high of a rushing total than last year. So here are the four choices. Number one, new offensive coordinator philosophy. We have to wait and see what Jared Parker has in mind for this fighting Irish offense taking over for Tommy Reese. Now, we do know head coach Marcus Freeman has talked about we have to be able 
to run the football. Even when the other team knows we're going to run it, we have to be able to get the job done. So I can't imagine there's going to be a major philosophy switch, just maybe the way the Irish run it. Who knows? Choice number two, they have a better quarterback, Sam Hartman, which means they might throw it more, taking away from the rushing totals. Choice number three, even though you have Alt and Banks anchoring this offensive line from the tackle spots and Correll back at center, with those two new guards yet to be determined, maybe the offensive line will be a little weaker this year. And your fourth choice, losing running back Logan Diggs to the transfer portal now at LSU. So again, what is the number one reason why the Irish will not rush for 189.1 yards per game like they did last season. New offensive coordinator philosophy, better quarterback, weaker offensive line, losing running back Logan Diggs. You can vote on this question throughout the weekend. It is available right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Have some fun with it, and we'll come back on Monday and pass along the results and have a brand-new question ready for you here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Paul Schramm from the Salvation Army Croc Center of South Bend joins me to talk about the million-dollar hole-in-one contest that's getting started coming up in a couple of moments. Notre Dame Football Week in Review. Sports Wagering Talk wraps up the program at 645 here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four, please. Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You know, the great thing about golf is your swing can be like an unfolded lawn chair, but you could hit it 40 yards off target. It hits a tree and it goes right toward the hole perfectly. So anything is possible. And I bring that up because whether you're a golfer or not, the Salvation Army million dollar hole in one contest is back benefiting the Salvation Army Croc Center. And it all starts on Monday. We've got all the details for you right now. Paul Schramm, the Director of Development at the Salvation Army Croc Center of South Bend, joins me here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Paul, I hope your golf swing is a whole lot better than mine right now. Well, I haven't played for a while either, Darren, but uh, I'm trying. Every time I can get out in the course, it's, it's always a good day. Hey, we can hit it thin toward the hole in this contest, and it could turn out perfectly. It doesn't have to be you know, just a historic, high, beautiful shot. I mean, we can shank one to the hole, right? Exactly. In fact, last year's closest to the pin in the hole finals had a run about two inches away from the hole and kept going. It went right by it and ran oh. about 20 yards by, but it was so close. And you heard the whole crowd that standing around oh. go, huh, huh, huh. It was, it was just like a year on TV. It, it, was, it was very funny and, and nerve-wracking. I was going to say, for the person hitting the shot, I don't know how good of a golfer they are, but that's a lot of pressure with $1 million on the line to hit it that close. That's awfully impressive. 
it, it was, but you know what? There's not a lot of pressure because you, you started with nothing, and if you come out with nothing, that's okay. You have the chance to win. It's it's a lot of fun, and it's all for a good cause. That's my problem. I'm dreaming big. I'm thinking about how I'm spending it before it's in my wallet, unfortunately. Well, I, I tell you what, Paul, this is a great event. It benefits the Salvation Army Croc Center. And let's just start with this. Why is the million-dollar hole-in-one contest so important to what you all do at the Salvation Army Croc Center? Well, it's one of our biggest fundraisers of the year, and as you know and can see when you go to the grocery store and, and anything out there that costs are more expensive, and uh, costs are going up for us, and we have a lot of people, more people in need than we've ever had before, and whether that's for our food pantry, for uh, our financial assistance where we help people pay utility bills, um, and Christmas time when we make sure over 2,000 kids get wow. um, Christmas presents and food and clothing that they need uh, there's just a lot of need in there and that's just some of the programs i mean there's every day there's kids coming in here that need some help and, and we're going to be here for them hmm. i'm wondering just i remember talking to you during covid and you know everybody's wallets were tight now coming out of that pandemic i'm sure the need is still there for you guys right now but i have imagined i would imagine that the community is right now much more involved than they were during the pandemic when it was just a, a weird weird time well, people did step up hugely during the uh, pandemic, but uh, you know what? Our community never ceases to amaze me and yeah. how they help and how they come out and support us. And even little things like this for a little fundraiser, people come out. Uh, we have a lot of sponsors that come out. Um, the people who come out just pay the $20 to take 25 shots. So there's, there's hundreds of people that come out, and really mm. our community steps up every time, and, and we can't thank them enough. Awesome. Paul, let's talk about what's going to happen when people go out to the various locations for this event. Let's mention June 5th through the 10th is when the Salvation Army Million Dollar Hole-in-One Contest will take place. So let's just begin with Monday, for example. Where is the contest going to be? And, Paul, when someone arrives, what is the process? Uh, uh, Monday we will be out at El Bell from 3 until 7 p.m. out at their driving range, and they have a nice little green to hit to. So we'll be right out there. All people have to do is come on up and uh, fill out a quick little form that says how many shots they want to purchase. Uh, we'll give them some golf balls, and uh, they could go ahead and hit. And what we do at the end of the day, the 10 closest to the pins, We'll move on to the semifinal round, which will be uh, Saturday morning, June 10th, um, out at Jude Creek. And what are the options for the number of shots people can purchase? You can purchase a, a dollar a shot and as many shots as you like. Uh, we do have a deal at uh, 25 shots for $20, um, so people can do that. Um, just as many as we want. We've had people come out and spend four or five hundred dollars just to go ahead and try, nice. and most people come out and spend you know twenty dollars and forty dollars and things like that. So sure. um, any any amount of money you want to bring, um, we'll be happy to help uh, get you golf shots for it. All right. So Monday you're at L Bell, but if people cannot make it out to L Bell on Monday, what are their other options? Tuesday we will be out at Erskine from three until seven, and the Notre Dame Warren Golf Course from three until seven on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, we move to Morris Park from 2 until 6 p.m., and you don't need to be a member. You could just come out to the driving range there. Or on Wednesday, we'll be back out at Elbow from 3 until 7. Then Thursday, we'll be at Erskine from 3 until 7. And then um, Eberhardt on Thursday from 3 until nice. 7. And then our final qualifying site is Friday from 3 until 7 out at Jude Creek. Now, if people did not have a pencil and paper to write all this down, is there a website they can go to? 
Yeah, they can go to mycroc.org and just look for the Million Dollar Hole-in-One Contest uh, icon, and they'll be able to uh, look at all the information there. And, Darren, one thing I do want to say sure. is this year we have something new. Uh, we have something we call a fast pass. And uh, what we're going to do is if you don't make any of the, uh, the qualifying sites, the top ten people, um, if you want to give us a $500 donation, we will give you an, one automatic spot in the finals to Ooh. shoot for the million dollars. So it's something really neat. We're only going to take five people. So if you want to write a $500 check to us, we'll automatically put you into the finals. So you have the shot at a million dollars by donating $500. Correct. Up, wow. up to five people. Yep. I yeah. like that. That's nice. Yeah. That's very, very nice. All right. So this is a wonderful event. Again, the Salvation Army Million Dollar Hole-in-One Contest benefiting the Salvation Army Croc Center. And, Paul, since we have you on the air, for people that maybe don't know everything that goes on at the Croc Center, maybe add a couple of more details. Well, you know what? Right now, in fact, right now going on, we have a kids program going on where the kids from all the, the spring and summertime here have been coming together and doing music lessons and playing hmm. guitar and violin and drums and doing some acting and putting together screenplays. Right now we're having a concert with all their families here. Um, so we do things like that. We do and, and give kids opportunities that they don't normally get at other places. So, or, or just in the schools and things. So, you know, we're a place where families can come in and learn different things and get opportunities, um, and we help them out of their out of their poverty situations. Whatever they have going on, yep. there's something here that we can help them with. Paul, good luck in this event. I know you always have a great turnout. And remind folks the website one more time. Mycroc.org. Very good. Paul, good to talk to you, and hopefully we can speak again soon. I only talk to you, seem like once a year. I've known you for a long time, but we never see each other, so maybe I'll see you on the golf course. I would appreciate it. I'd love it. All right. Very good. Paul, thank you so much. Good luck this week. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate it. You bet. That is Paul Zram joining me, Director of Development at the Salvation Army Croc Center of South Bend. MyCroc.org is the website. Croc is spelled K-R-O-C. All right, 615 at WSBT. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. Brought to you by Budweiser, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. It is now time for our Notre Dame Football Week in Review, and we begin first with our conversation with the Notre Dame Football Beat Reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka, as we discuss Notre Dame adding a Power 5 running back to their roster. Tyler, Devin Ford is the latest member of this Notre Dame football program. Started out at Penn State, played there for four years, although he left the program in October of last year. And everything I've read, Tyler, this was a guy in demand coming out of high school, a four-star running back, and his ability to play for Penn State just seemed to diminish every year. So what is your read on Devin Ford and how do you think he fits into this Notre Dame running back room? Yeah, I think some of that stuff at Penn State was injury-related. And once you have an injury, it can kind of derail your career. I kind of look at Chris Tyree as a guy that happened a couple years ago. When Kyron Williams is still here, Chris Tyree's in his sophomore year. Everyone thinks that once Williams does leave, which has ended up being that year after his junior season, Tyree was going to be that guy, but then – you have Audrey Gestime come in, Logan Diggs come in, suddenly you're number three on the totem pole. 
it's the smallest of things that can derail a guy's career at a certain school. Luckily for these guys today, they can just hit the transfer portal and say, hey, I want to finish this thing elsewhere. And that's what Devin Ford did. He's coming to Notre Dame. I think it's a pretty good situation, both the school and the player, because obviously I just mentioned Diggs. He's going to LSU. It looks like Tyree is going to be a full-time wide receiver. I'm kind of putting all of my chips in that basket. So you might see him get a few carries here and there. But that's why you bring a guy like Ford in, because now you don't really feel hard-pressed to give Chris Tyree some emergency carries, if that's what you call it, with Logan Diggs all of a sudden going out the door after the spring game. So I think, obviously, Devin Ford is a guy that comes in and immediately has the second, if you're excluding Chris Tyree, immediately has the second most experience of any Notre Dame running back right there alongside Audric Estime. So what you're looking at there is a potential one-two punch. Now, is Janarian Price going to potentially be more productive than Devin Ford? Maybe even Jeremiah Love as a true freshman. We'd be remiss if we did not include Jabron Payne in this conversation Mm -hmm. with what we saw from him in the spring. So, at the, at the end of the day, this gives Notre Dame more depth in the running back room, or, you know, it's kind of a contingency plan for Logan Diggs leaving. And then for Ford, it's an opportunity, like I said, to potentially come in and say, hey, I've done it at this level, not at a very high level, and not, uh, you know, for, I mean, I think he had, what, 160 carries, something like that, mm-hmm. which is right what Audrey Estime has in two years, so... He hasn't done it over a four-year body of work in terms of a career, but he could instantly come in, and this might be the best year of his career if he is that one-two punch with Audrey Estime. So I think there's a lot of potential there. We spent a lot of time on this show last year and also on Game Day Sports Beat debating should the Irish go just with Estime and Diggs as the running backs, but Dylan McCullough, the running back coach, really likes the three-man rotation, and he doubled down this spring. Now, this was before Logan Diggs went to the portal, but he was asked about the three-man rotation, and he anticipates going down that road once again this year. When you add in this Penn State running back to that running back room, does it look like it to you that we're going to see that three-man running back rotation once again this year, even though you've got what appears to be a guy that you can ride in Audric Estime? Yeah, it's going to be tricky because if you do have Estime, and I mean, Estime is a guy who's averaged six yards per carry for his career. and Really, that was just last year. He only had seven carries as a true freshman. But you're talking two seasons, uh, again, around 160 carries, six yards per carry. If, if that holds up and he's able to do that, then why don't you give him 200, maybe even 250 carries? So if, if some of those other guys aren't producing at a really good clip, you're going to hear grumblings on the message board within <laughs> the fan base of people saying, you have Audrick Estime, keep using him. But obviously, the more you use him, the more susceptible he is to injury. So that's why you do use some other guys. I think what you're going to see is Estime be a clear and away number one. So that's already a difference from last year because him and Logan Diggs, I think Diggs had 165 carries, Estime had 156. So they were both right there. I think you see Estime bump up closer to the 200 range. And then from there, it's how do you make up those lost carries between, you know, you're losing Chris Tyree to the wide receiver room. You're losing Logan Diggs to LSU. That's 100 or 265 carries between those two guys last year. I think Notre Dame's going to throw the ball a little bit more with Sam Hartman. So there's 
part of the solution. But you're going to need a couple other guys to scrounge up probably north of 100 carries between the two. It's going to be about figuring out who those two are. You kind of figure Ford is going to be one just because of the experience. So then you've got a couple sophomores in Payne and Price and then the freshman in Love who can be that third guy. So the roundabout way to answer your question, yes, I do think you see three guys most of the time. But we knew who those three guys were going to be last year. This year, it's about finding out who they are. SMA is definitely one. You think Ford's going to be one. But if he doesn't produce, I mean, this is a meritocracy. Even though he came in, it doesn't mean he has to play. You've got four guys at your disposal to try to slide into two spots there for the 2-3 designation. Blue and Gold Illustrated, Tyler Horkin, my guest here on WSBT Radio. Michael Mayer is now a Las Vegas Raider. We didn't get to see a lot from the tight end position this spring due to a couple of injuries right now on the depth chart. As you move forward toward the season with a brand-new offensive coordinator, and we're not quite sure the total philosophy of Jared Parker at this particular time and how it differs from Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese was really good at getting the football to the tight ends. And I think that's why Nick Saban was interested in Reese. He wants the football in the hands of tight ends more to take care of some advantages that he believes he can get from the opposing defense. So Tommy's at Alabama. Parker is now the offensive coordinator here in South Bend. Do you have an anticipation of how important the tight end will be to this offense with Parker involved? Well, first of all, you said Las Vegas and the Dallas Stars fan and me already has PTSD. So thanks (laughs) for that. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But to to answer your question, uh, this is going to be even more of a trial and error than at the running back position, which we just discussed, because you are losing a guy that was, was pretty much your whole offense. I mean, I've said it a few times here in other places that Michael Mayer had over 100 targets. The next most targeted Notre Dame player last year was Lorenzo Styles, mm. and I think it was somewhere around 50. So, I mean, you're, you're talking half as much. And, and even that guy's not here anymore, mind you. Uh, he wasn't great with the drops and all that, and obviously needed the fresh start. That's why he's at Ohio State. But you're losing the two players that quarterbacks threw the most to for Notre Dame last year. And tight end outside of Michael Mayer last year, was basically non-existent. You were happy to see Mitch Evans start the, the the bowl game against South Carolina and come up with three catches for 39 yards and a touchdown. Touchdown ended up being the game winner with around two minutes left. But, I mean, that being the case, you're talking about a guy that had two catches through 58 minutes in that game. So it is going to be interesting to see what Jerry Parker is able to do with these guys. It's a lot easier when you have a Michael Mayer. I'll never forget uh, a quote that Parker said. It was either last spring or maybe even last fall. Uh, He just said, your job is a lot easier when you have someone like number 87 on your team. And it was because you saw that even with the quarterback like Drew Pine, who had his limitations, those are well spelled out. They were still able to move the ball a little bit, when in doubt, throw it to 87. And he had one of the most phenomenal years that a tight end has ever had here really the best he left as the best tight end so you don't have that anymore i think mitch evans can be a number one but he's got to stay healthy i mean he wore a big brace on his i think it was his right arm his right elbow for the entirety of spring we did not see him play in the blue gold game so that gives you a little bit of caution and a little bit something to be wary of because you need health at that position and just going further down that route You have two guys in Eli Raritan and Kevin Bauman who are both coming back from ACL injuries. So 
I mean, that, that is a rough and tough position. Jared Parker knows better than anybody else that you need to be healthy. And, and I mean, that was another thing that Mayor was just an absolute warrior. I mean, I think he only missed uh, maybe that Virginia Tech game in 2021. And then obviously he sat out this past bowl game, but he was healthy for pretty much his entire career. Now you're looking at some guys who have not been able to say that through their careers. So that's interesting, but First things first, you have to nail down who's going to be a number one guy because, I mean, tight ends, you can have two to three the, two, two to three of them on the field at any given time. One of those guys is pretty much always going to be the same. Yeah. Who is that? Is it Evans? Is it Bauman? Is it Raritan even if he's fully healthy? And then you got, you got to figure out the guys that can fill in the cracks. So it's going to be interesting because this is a program that has long built its reputation on having some of the best tight ends in the country. But right now, as it stands, there's a bunch of unproven guys in that room who have got to go out there and show that they can do it. That was Blue and Gold Illustrated's Tyler Horka. Now let's talk some Notre Dame football recruiting with Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Mike Singer. And one of our discussion points this week was Notre Dame going hard after an outstanding cornerback from Tennessee, Caleb Beasley. A standout at Notre Dame's Irish Invasion camp last year, and I got to see him a couple months after that at a at a, a preseason, no regular season game down in the state of Georgia, and uh, just a fantastic player. And I, I really like Notre Dame early in Beasley's recruitment, four-star corner. Uh, I, I don't know how he's ranked outside of the top 100 nationally for these websites. I think he's an absolute freak show. I think, honestly, in my opinion, I think he's ranked like I think he's like a five-star type guy, but. Yeah, the websites don't think that, but I'll just uh, I'll, I'll die on that hill. But <laughs> I like Notre Dame for him. He ends up committing to Tennessee. Uh, this would have been October of last year. Notre Dame said, you know what, we're going to keep fighting for you. So every every opportunity they get to go to his high school, they do it. They're, they're, all those recruiting periods, coaches on the road, they're always at Beasley's high schools, literally as much as they're allowed to. And then they got him on campus for the April 1st recruiting weekend. And then how about this? Darren Blue and Gold had this scoop. Um, well, this has been on Tuesday that he's going to officially visit. And we had been hearing about this, um, that Beasley and Justin Scott, the five-star defense tackle from Chicago, St. Ignatius, were looking to officially visit for the Ohio State game. And then we were able to uh, break this news. Uh, so the Tennessee commit uh, going to officially visit for the Ohio State weekend. So a pretty big deal here, Darren. Um, Notre Dame has two really good cornerback commitments, uh, Carson Hobbs from Cincinnati, um, and then Leonard Moore down in the Austin area. If you, I mean, if, if you land those two and you, and you add Caleb Beasley to the mix, I mean, goodness gracious, with, with Brian Urlacher's son, so we're looking at a really good defensive back class. And then there, you know, later we'll, we'll talk about another uh, defensive back who Notre Dame's looking pretty good for. Darren, defensive back recruiting is looking pretty good right now. Uh, but, you know, will they flip Beasley from Tennessee? Uh, you know, this visit, I mean, it is in like, what, 11 weeks or something? Like, a lot can happen between now and then. So we'll see. But, uh, Beasley's also taken an official visit to Oklahoma, so it definitely looks like he's, you know, not shutting down his recruitment. He's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, of course, tied into the On3 platform. 
I can't wait to get your thoughts on this because when I heard sure. this story pop up, I immediately thought this is something that would be really good to talk about in our recruiting update. Notre Dame, any chance they're going to change the official visit policy for committed recruits? And this kind of came up because Brent Venables at Oklahoma now has this allegedly stern policy, although it seemed to not be the case late last year going after a certain safety, but maybe I'm mistaken on that. So what are your thoughts on if Notre Dame might change the way they handle committed players and visiting elsewhere? Yeah, I, I can't speak much to Oklahoma, but just for folks who might not really know what this is all about, uh, I'll try to give as brief as a rundown as possible. So when Marcus Freeman became head coach, they basically in, implemented the policy. And this is not something that was written in stone or was tattooed on their arms or, you know, was, you know, they, they replaced, re, you know, replaced play like a champion sign with this policy. So let, you know, let's all, you know, take that into consideration. Um, this is something that very easily can be changed and, and we might see it. It, it is if you're a player and you're committed elsewhere, you can't come take an official visit here because Notre Dame's own official their own commitments, they're not going to allow to take official visits. You can't have it both ways, right? Sure. You can't tell your own commitments, hey, you can't, if you officially visit elsewhere, we see you as a decommitted player. But then also have, you know, players committed elsewhere come take an official visit to your school because then the, the guy committed Notre Dame will be like, but wait, I can't, but they can come here? Like, that doesn't sound right. So that's basically Notre Dame's policy so for, uh, I'll give an example of last year, Caleb Smith, who was a receiver's committed to Texas Tech, Notre Dame was looking like they're going to flip him. And, but to take that official visit, he had to decommit from Texas Tech. And that's exactly what he did. And then he commits to Notre Dame. Same deal with Kenny Minchie last year. So I think a lot of people hear about this policy and they're like, oh, I don't like that because I want to be more aggressive. But I think it's helped Notre Dame flip players mm -hmm. elsewhere. And I think Peyton Bowen probably would have decommitted a lot earlier in the process if, if this policy were in place. So I, I kind of go both ways on it. This is an article that me, me and Kyle Kelly did a, a couple weeks back. Like, do you prefer the policy? I, I, I really don't have a strong opinion on it. I'm kind of fine with it either way. Now, will they change it is the question because of Caleb Beasley taking this official visit. Right? He's a Tennessee commit. But here's the thing. That this visit is what eleven weeks, twelve weeks away. So, I mean, he could decommit by then. I mean, he could. Uh, there's so many different variables. Like, and again, this is something that media is reporting about. Notre Dame is not. There's no press release yeah. about this. This is not something that is declared by Notre Dame or anything like that. This is something that. I'm told, uh, you know, other media outlets are told, and, and, and we inform our readers about this. Like, this is why this is going on, uh, or this is the situation. So, it's Notre Dame doesn't need to make any decisions on this right now. Yeah, he's going to officially visit in September for the Ohio State game as of late May. And I mean, it, he, he could cancel the visit next week, and then it's like, why would you have need to make any decisions on your little quote unquote policy for this? So, a long way to say, Darren, and I hate to give you a non-answer, but I don't think that they've really, you know, put their foot in the ground. They being the Notre Dame staff on their their whole policy here. Um, I do know 
that Notre Dame loves Beasley. Notre Dame loves Beasley as much as I do, if not more. And I think that he's the type of player that they might change their policy for. And then they, for 2025, they might be like, all right, no official visits again. Like, again, this is something that can change at the drop of the hat. It's recruiting. You know, it's not like in a press conference. Marcus Streaming could talk about re- recruits like that. Like, this is – they can kind of do whatever they want here. So. All right, let's wrap up with – some football that's played down the road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne's been good to Notre Dame through the years. Jalen Smith comes to mind. I think Drew Tranquil. Yeah, he was decent, huh? Yeah, so now we got Tate Johnson to talk about. A pretty good two-sport athlete. This guy could probably play some pretty good basketball as well, but, Mike, he's going to be a college football player. I know he's listed on three as an athlete. I don't know if you can offer any more insight where he might play, but where do the Irish stand with this Hoosier? Darren, you know there is a lot to talk about when this is our final segment, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I logged a prediction for Tay Johnson this week. Uh, the North Side standouts end up in Notre Dame, and we have a huge official visit weekend, Irish Invasion Camp Sunday. I mean, there's a lot going on in the world of Notre Dame football recruiting, so make sure you head to blueandgold.com. Stay up to date with all the coverage. But, yeah, uh, nation's number 160 player, number five athlete. Again, that athlete designation is often – um, you know, if there, if a player's being recruited in multiple positions, you're not really, he's playing both sides of the ball high school, like not a clear spot. You kind of put the athlete tag on him. I mean, Notre Dame's talked to him about receiver and safety. He definitely looks more like a safety at the next level for Notre Dame, officially visiting Sunday to Tuesday. Um, and uh, Notre Dame sources are buzzing um, about it going into the visit. So I logged my prediction Monday. Um, yeah, I think it's for the win, Darren. I think if this official visit goes well, and I, I believe he's going to Purdue later this month, but you just got to wonder if this goes well, does he commit and just you know shut his recruitment down? Um, I think that's at least what the Notre Dame staff hopes. But you, know, you mentioned with like defensive line recruiting, like yeah, it's it's looking really good. I, I think if Johnson commits, you're feeling the same about safety. Like, all right, you got Erlocker committed, Brian Erlocker's son from, from Chandler, Arizona. Now, if you get Johnson at the safety spot, you're feeling feeling pretty good. And that wraps up our Notre Dame football week in review featuring conversations with Tyler Horka and Mike Singer. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sportspeak continues next on WSBT.